This is the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast brought to you by Art Wiederman, CPA with Ide Bailey. Whether it's taxes and investing or planning wisely, Art is the expert to make your dental practice profitable. At Ide Bailey, what inspires you inspires us. We provide a suite of accounting and advisory services dedicated to the total care of your practice. Visit our website to access our tools and resources tailored for dentists, idebailey.com slash dentist. That's E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com slash dentist. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Art Wiederman, CPA, and Ide Bailey, LLP are not rendering legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information or opinions shared. If you have questions and or feedback, make sure to email Art over at awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com. You can also give Art a call at 657-279-3243. Without further delay, here's your host, Dental CPA, Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman CPA. I'm your host, Art Wiederman. I am a dental division director at the CPA firm of Ide Bailey. Uh, we are a uh, regional CPA firm located primarily west of the Mississippi River. I said east at one point, and um, I, I've got the east and the west all figured out now. So we're mostly west of the of the of the Mississippi. And I have a great great guest for you today. Um, one of the great things about joining this firm is, as I've told you guys before. Imagine you're a general dentist, and then you have access to the best periodontist, the best endodontist, the best orthodontist right here as part of your team. Well, one of our wonderful, wonderful um, tax partners uh, is Ben Peeler. Ben is out of Salt Lake City. Uh, he is a partner, and he runs the IRS Tax Controversy Group at Ide Bailey. And he's an expert on everything and anything having to do with the IRS. And we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. We're going to talk about what does the $80 billion and 87,000 new employees coming to the IRS mean over the next 10 years? What are We're going to talk about some of the IRS's dirty dozen. Some of the things that if you guys are thinking about getting involved in, you might want to think twice about. You know, what happens if you get audited? What's important? What's not important? So, uh, ben is an amazing resource for us. In fact, I had a problem with the IRS and a couple of his team members were unbelievably helpful in getting me to the right people at the IRS and we got the problem solved. It took three hours on the phone, me sitting on hold, but we got it done. So anyway, we will uh, chat with Ben in a couple minutes. Uh, I want to, again, remind you to please, please go on to the website of our wonderful, wonderful marketing partner, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine www.decisionsanddentistry.com. And uh, they have over 140 amazing continuing education classes available at a very, very reasonable price for an annual basis. And top clinical content of all the top clinicians in the world, www.decisionsanddentistry.com. If you need any help from us, we are recording in early October um, this podcast will probably be published sometime in late November. Uh, so if we get down to year end tax planning, if you're not meeting with your CPA or you don't get a call from your CPA, give us a call. Uh, my phone number is 657-279-3243. And my, uh, email is a Wiederman, W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at Ide Bailey. That's E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com. We work with over a thousand dentists in all of our offices. Uh, we have about 300 plus in our office here in Southern California in Tustin. And I also want to encourage you, we have our Business of Dentistry webinar series uh, that's going on. The, it's the first Friday, I believe, uh, first or second Friday of each month. Uh, by the time you hear this, we may be down to the last one in December. Uh, if you want to register for that series, uh, in December, we're doing year-end tax planning with Mel Schwarz. Um, 
And we're also doing a three-part transition series. They'll be available not only live on Friday mornings, but also on our Ide Bailey YouTube page. Send me an email at awiederman at idebailey.com and we will send you the registration information. Be sure to check out our new Ide Bailey podcast, Ebb and Flow, a business podcast providing inspired insight on issues and trends the middle market faces. Hear unique business stories, get answers to frequently asked and unasked questions, and understand business topics that matter to you. Available now on your favorite podcast platform. So some interesting things that are happening at the IRS as kind of a setting the table to talk to to, to Ben. Um, The most recent uh, bill that was passed by Congress uh, basically allocated $80 billion um, to the Internal Revenue Service over the next 10 years. Um, Much of that, according to some of the things I've been reading, uh, about uh, $46 billion is going to be used for enforcement activities and uh, trying to cut down the $600-plus billion tax gap. And the tax gap, folks, is you know, the amount of tax liability, the amount of income that is not reported that should be reported on people's tax returns. So they say they're not going after anybody who makes more than $400,000. They say that they um, are going to hire... 80,000 people, of which uh, the IRS is losing a lot of people. We're going to talk about that. So we've got that going on. And so basically what we're talking about is what is the IRS? What do they do? How do they do it? And how do you need to prepare for your taxes? So Ben Peeler uh, from Ide Bailey, welcome to the Art of Dental Finance and Management. Glad to be here. Well, thanks for coming on today, Ben. And let's start off by... um, Sharing a little bit about your well, let me before I do that, let me let me give you a little bit about Ben. Uh, ben joined the firm early in 2014 at I Bailey with many years of tax experience, both as an attorney and an accountant. He specializes in federal tax controversy and procedure work, helps clients in the areas of income tax, estate and gift tax, property tax, sales and use tax, estate planning, and other tax matters. I think we covered all the big taxes. Uh, Ben's vast experience includes representing clients before the IRS, as well as representing the IR, um, representing the IRS before the United States Tax Court, and during litigation before the federal district courts as a special assistant to the United States Attorney. That sounds like really important. Um, today, Ben leads the firm's IRS practice and procedures as a federal tax controversy and procedure specialist and serves on Ide Bailey's National Tax Office team that's committed to helping clients resolve tax issues. So Ben, uh, add a little bit to that. Tell us a little bit about your professional journey. Sure. So uh, obviously I worked for the IRS for eight years, but prior to that, I worked at um, a couple different law firms that were tax specific. And before that I was an accountant for um, just an internal accountant. When I was an internal accountant, I had a tax director that kept telling me, you need to be a lawyer. You're, <laughs> you're not an accountant. You need to go to law school. She had me work on the tax return there for a, a large um, corporation and convinced me to do that. So I went to law school, um, found out that I did like it, but I was still focused in the tax area. It was just a natural fit coming from accounting. So I worked for a while for in estate and gift tax planning and income tax work for a law firm when I came out of law school. And then I switched to another one that um, was primarily focusing on captive insurance companies and uh, developing them, providing those, those models for um, clients. And I worked on the tax side of, of that sort of thing. When, when you then, were at IRS, what did you, what were, what were, were you a revenue agent, a field agent? What, what were you? So I was a I was in the office of the IRS office of chief counsel. So I was oh. an attorney for the IRS. Okay. Um, the, at different jobs throughout my career, one thing you'll find out about the IRS is if you're willing to do work, then they'll give you lots of work and <laughs> <laughs> they'll promote you as fast as you can. But you can only be promoted so much. So I was I started out in the small business self employed division, ended up in what's called LBNI, large business and international. And when I left the IRS, I was a special trial attorney um, handling the significant um, case litigation. So that's large cases, those cases the IRS didn't want to lose. 
So, right, right. Well, so, so you're the guy if they don't want to lose. So they have attorney. What you're saying is they have attorneys over there that if they want to lose a case, you send it to Joe, right? Is that how it works? <laughs> There's a lot of attorneys that they would say retire in place. <laughs> well, my, 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 my wife's cousin was an attorney for the IRS and she would always, I would always call her with, you know, Hey, can you kind of help me? I got a problem, no names, you know, and it would be kind of, kind of cool about that. So let's jump in. We got a lot to talk about, Ben. Um, so the IRS has this thing called the dirty dozen, and these right. are things that you get involved with folks uh, that you've been approached by promoters for, and I've had clients promote, you know, been approached. I've shot down more bad investment and tax fraudulent ideas than I care to remember in almost 40 years of practice. But I want to hit some that dentists are generally going to have to deal with. So let, let's just kind of hit them pretty quickly, but explain. Um, let's start off with conservation easements. Uh, sure. and, and, and Ben, explain a little bit about what they are. And there's a little loophole in the partnership, uh, tax rules that, uh, allow a deduction, but talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So conservation easements per se are not a, a bad thing. What the IRS, and when I worked for the IRS, I was on the group that handled a lot of these cases. Um, they like, they go after all sorts of easements but the main one they're worried about are what call, are called syndicated easements. And that's what you're talking about, where there's the yeah. partnership rule exception that allows a deduction. Um, what they tend to do is they market, you know, the conservation easement is basically donated a piece of property of some sort. It could be real estate. It could be, uh, you know, actually, um, you know, it's not the whole piece of real estate. It's just an easement protecting it from, being changed. I mean, there's every state has a has a law that allows it because there's a policy in place pretty much everywhere that people want to preserve land or the beauty of land or or the building actually it could be or some other kind of um, item that the people you know that there's a political reason to to keep them around the way they are. But what people start to take advantage of is first it was kind of just the valuation of things and they. Because there's in the courts, there's this process of valuing those easements, and they would value them at the highest and best use, and they might pick a best use that's, you know, New York skyscrapers out in the middle right. of the, <laughs> right. the Montana um, fields. But so the IRS, that's kind of progressed over time, and it's gotten to the point where now the syndicated easements, the IRS doesn't like it if it offers a deduction that's more than two and a half times what you actually invest in the the business i've seen i've seen a couple and the ones that i saw were five to six times yeah that's that's very typical because it's it's also a very competitive thing there's they'll they they'll go up and up because they're trying to get more investors as the irs sort of kind of sort of tightens the noose as you say but when when i was with the irs we thought we had won this in 2011 um there was a case that that was a um, important case then that kind of set where the court said, Hey, you got to have a really good reason why the highest and best use isn't just what you're using it for now. Um, but that didn't dissuade anyone. There's still many of these. Um, the one thing that people don't realize is as many people go in, we are working to settle them out <laughs> and they right. usually don't come out so well. No. And so talk about, let's say somebody does this. They, they invest, $50,000 and they get a K-1 with a $250,000 and it's a charitable donation. This is with any of these dirty dozen. So let's say IRS goes in, they do this, it doesn't get settled, maybe it goes to trial, whatever, and and the, the taxpayer flat out loses, right? What happens? I mean, the taxpayer doesn't go to jail or do they? I don't know. How much does it cost them? Penalties? And how does that work? Well, if yeah. if they if they went to trial and lost, what the IRS is asserting now is up to forty percent penalties for Ouch. an overstated yeah valuation, and they they might allow you because a lot of times what happens is you put the money in and you don't get it back, right? The promoters have taken the money, or maybe they spent the money defending the case, depending on how they work it. But so the court, the IRS has settled out a lot of those. There's a settlement tranche they call it now where 
you get your deduction for what you put in out of pocket costs is what is usually termed but then you know you're going to lose your deduction and the tax you um, avoided because of that plus penalties and interest so right and it gets very 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 and and yeah so so that's a that's one folks um you know conservation easements is on their list and so let's go to one that most of our clients are involved in is 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 s corporation basis so let me explain and i'll let ben explain kind of how this works too so doctors we're coming to the end of the year right and you're an s corporation single member s corporation you own your practice and uh, your Henry Shine uh, rep comes to you and says, hey, uh, listen, we got a special on a CBCT machine. Uh, it's normally 150 grand. We're going to sell it to you for 100. And, you know, we can get it get it in there. It, it has to be placed in service, folks. Remember, if you buy a piece of equipment and they say, just make the first payment, we'll place it in service in January, you don't get the deduction. But if you're an S corporation, if you don't have S corporation basis, then you have a problem. You do not, let me repeat, and I've said this many times on this podcast, you do not get S corporation basis by taking a loan. I guess, Ben, unless you follow the 11 circuits decision, which nobody does anyway, right? <laughs> but anyway, explain how people get in trouble with S corporation basis. You you can lose a big deduction if you're not careful. Yeah, I would say the biggest problem, and this is probably the number one thing we have audited for all of our clients, doctors, dentists especially, is the informality of using S corporation on a, you know, not following the documentation rules. Um, because you can't just, you can just, you can lose basis by just not being able to prove it. You might really have it. You just don't have the documentation information to prove it. That's always our, becomes our biggest problem. But um, the IRS doesn't like, you know, um, loaning money back and forth from yourself using it as a, your pocketbook. Like you've got a bank account there but you pay personal expenses out of it. Um, and so those informalities often cause problems. But the loans, especially they're not documented and they don't follow, you know, you can borrow money from your corporation. You just have to make sure that you're paying interest back or vice versa, right? Sometimes you lend money and that, and um, you know, neither of those give you basis either. But Well, and the, the, the other thing, Ben, is reason, and this will jump into this, the, one of the other things we're talking about is reasonable compensation. Folks, if any of you are operating your dental practice as an S corporation and you are not taking a salary or you're taking $10,000 a year, Ben, that's not good, right? Right. These go hand in hand, right? You can't, it's it's either they, they go after you for the basis or they're going after you for reasonable compensation. So, because it usually works out that you don't get one or the other, right? So, reasonable compensation becomes a big problem when people do use it as a pocketbook and they, they don't want to, they want to record that as a distribution and they're only taking a small salary. What they don't realize is there's a whole bunch of court cases the IRS has won where essentially if you, um, if you're the primary provider of the revenue, right? So if you're a dentist and you don't have as many other people that are providing it, essentially it's got to meet a reasonableness test there and your salary should be, like if you're drawing in, you know, 75% of the revenue, you can't explain how you could just pay a $30,000 salary. It'd be in, you know, close to what you actually make. Yeah. And I, I have a rule of thumb, Ben, I'd be interested in your opinion. You know, when I, I mean, I've done this work for a long, long time. I'm kind of a 50, 50 guy. In other words, if I make 300,000, the dental practice, I'm going to take maybe 150,000 of wages and maybe take 150 a distribution. How do you feel? Do you, do you think that's okay? Do you have a do you have a number in your mind? I guess it depends on the situation. Well, there's a lot of pitfalls, and the main the main w- that works because the IRS sort of has a general rule with its auditors that if you're paying yourself salary up to the FICA limit, yeah. then they'll tend to just let it go. And that's but, about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, it's, I think it's a little. I think it's one forty-seven for this year, maybe, but. Uh, you know, uh, but yeah, so so you, right. you're you're okay with that, right? Well, and I, I would definitely say that is a, a good start, but you have to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be careful because if your situation, like we've had uh, oral surgeons that had basically they're the only ones that can provide the revenue, right? If they're not there doing it, and they they might bring in a million dollars in a year, it's very hard to justify that they're not the that their salary shouldn't be a million dollars because you couldn't go higher. You'd have to go hire another oral surgeon to come in 
they right. do all that work, you're going to have to hire them, pay them something similar. Well, and then, yeah, but once you get over that 150,000, you're only looking at 3.8% as opposed to 15.3. Yes. So the numbers get, yeah. So if, if you're taking no salary or a very, very little salary, folks, that's a big deal. I want to hit a couple because I got a lot more to talk to you about. Sure. Um, the employee retention tax credit. I just got another email last night from a client that says, I went out and hired a company and they told me I'm eligible for all the quarters of this and I'm going to get 150 grand and I didn't meet any of the revenue reduction. We've talked about this ad infinitum until I want to throw up, Ben, is mm -hmm. you know 50% reduction in a quarter in 2020, 20% reduction in 2021. And unless you've got a government order, you know, and, the, and there's companies popping up, are you starting to see some of that or is it a little too soon? So it's a little too soon to see the audits, but we definitely know we've seen plenty of the sort of fraudulent um, filing claims, right? Of course, I Bailey will calculate this and determine it for you and we'll follow all the rules. But there are plenty of competitors that are, um, in my mind, just a, it's a creating fraudulent claims. People that we've told, yeah, you don't qualify. And but they, they'll say they qualify. And we say, well, how is it possible? I mean, this is the rules. There's there's very little guidance. But one thing that's sure is that since there's a five-year statute of limitation on this, that you won't really get IRS positions until they start auditing everyone. Now, of course, you submit your claim. It's taking forever to get your refund anyway. But, you know, there, there will be a hammer that comes down. It's just that the IRS, they usually work on a clock when there's two years left. And so because yep. they have a five-year statute, that clock has not started ticking. And, and I want to point one thing out, Ben. So, folks... When you take an ERC, let's say you get a $100,000 credit, you're going to have to, and let's say it's all in 2021, you're going to have to add back $100,000 to your income because you can't take a credit and a deduction for the same wages because it's all based on wages. So here's what's going to happen. Five-year statute of limitations. Four years into this, they audit you and they say, no, this is bogus and we're disallowing the whole thing and you lose. And you go back to your CPA and you say, Oh, well, go back and amend those tax returns that we added back. I'll get some of this back. No, you won't, because that three-year statute for amending returns will have run. Did I get that right? That's true. You can make a protective claim on those yeah. other returns to protect yourself, but it seems kind of inconsistent. People yeah. don't, and the people that are pitching that don't tend to say, hey, just in case this goes wrong, <laughs> maybe, maybe but, you go... Uh, take a different position. And then if someone at the IRS sees the protective claim, they might put your name on the list and say, we should look at these guys. Yeah, I think there would be such a, a lot of them out there. I mean, the biggest thing people need to remember, it's just sheer numbers. There's The IRS estimates there's probably a trillion dollars of fraud in this area. I wow. mean, I think it'll keep me in business for as long as I want to. <laughs> well, well, you're, I can see you on my screen. Your hair is not gray like mine, so you might be going along <laughs> for a while. Um, let's let's jump in. So, so guys, I'm going to tell you again. If you have a company that tells you you qualify for all six quarters of 2020 and 2021 because you had a social distance and you had to cut down and you had to do this and you had to do that, um, you know, if you're going to do this, I told this one client yesterday, I said, you know, if you're going to choose to do this, not through I Bailey, um, take that money, stick it in a money market account for five years and don't touch it because you got to be prepared if you get called. If after five years you don't get called, then maybe you're OK. Then uh, let's jump into research and development tax credit. I know they've tightened the rules on that. Are you dealing with some of that, too? Yeah, so this is a, you know, the IRS has a lot of uh, procedural problems that they've run into. When I worked for the IRS, we used, I used, I used to live in Southern California. So, in, you know, Southern California, everybody has a screenplay, right? So my friends and I, we thought, well, you need to make a screenplay out of the IRS. And I don't know if you've seen <laughs> that, that show, The Office. Yes. Uh, where, you know, yeah. there's definitely could be a movie made out of that. We said it was, it should be um, created just for the government stuff. And that's what we've got here with the, research and development tax credit, because when you have turnover on the IRS, they literally, people come in and they literally don't know what they're dealing, they don't know what they're talking about. And it's up to practitioners like me to educate them. We educate them one case at a time. And that's what we have for the R&D tax credit. I used to work in these cases when I was with the IRS and we trained everybody. Everybody knew what they were doing and it was working like clockwork. Well, they all retired and now there's a whole new crop of agents that basically they don't understand it and they deny it all. 
So we have to take a lot of these cases to appeals and tax court. And educate, yeah. Yeah, you and I have educated more IRS agents than we care to remember, probably. And it doesn't um, help that there's a lot of fraudulent um, filings for that credit as well. So. Yeah, I mean, that that's true. And I think, uh, well, let, let's get into some other topics here. So I know there have been big frustrations. I mentioned it earlier in the podcast. Um, we have a pandemic. The IRS was basically shut down for over a year, if not longer. They've gotten way behind. The last number I saw was... 5.1 million amended returns that have not been processed. I know they're getting caught up. What what's going on right now? Let, let's not talk. We'll, we'll talk a little later about the 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 new employees and budget they're going to get. But what's going on right now? What what if a taxpayer calls the IRS? Uh, what what can they expect? What's going on right now with the IRS? Well, before COVID, we used to be able to call in. It would still take a long time to get in um, and fix a problem, but now it takes many hours and we actually have to pay a service that can get us in line so that we can wait and, and get a hold of the IRS. We get in line ahead of time. Um, <clears throat> you know, we hate those things, but we have to pay for them now. Just yeah. And that's do. what you did for me. And it was golden. Yeah. And it, I still had to wait almost three hours, but imagine if I didn't have that. Right. It could take days. Other people, I don't think it's just possible to even get in. We, we use an East coast phone line number so that we can get in because by, by, Area code, they assign you to different um, phone services. So we have to learn, do all these different tricks. It's almost as if you just can't do it on your own anymore. And I hate that because the biggest problem is with all those back returns, the way the IRS has set up all of its automatic penalties and application of payments, it worked fine when the IRS would actually um, process returns in a reasonable time frame, right? And the IRS would then process your payments and put them in the right place. But now because um, returns clear from 2019 and amended returns for 2019 or 2018 still haven't been processed, then the IRS keeps applying the payments to the wrong places. And we have to spend five hours just getting the payment put in the right place. We've had situations where that's taken 14 months just to straighten out a simple misapplied payment. And then the IRS doesn't apply it to the right date. It becomes a, a huge mess. And then you have to explain to your client why did it take this long and it's our time and all this kind of stuff. Um, so uh, is it, I mean, and the pandemic just put them further behind, right? Oh, and it's, and they're, they're and they're losing personnel at the same time. So they just can't catch up. So they're right. It's just mounting amounts of returns and, and we don't know how they're going to fix it. Obviously we hope. This so, new bill helps. But. Yeah, well, we're going to get into that new bill and what it's going to mean. But I've heard statistics that as much as 40 or more percent of all IRS notices are incorrect. And I mean, we're going to talk about the new employees and the money they're going to get. But um, the IRS's computer system, for those of you who don't know, is circa 1960, from what I understand, Ben. Talk about their system and, and the problems that they're having with that. Well, yeah, it's funny because I, when I worked for the IRS, I volunteered for, I tried to fix a lot of things and nobody wants to fix things, but I volunteered for a, a committee that would help sort of put all of those processes into one because it's not just one computer system. They basically have five separate databases that are built in the old IBM RPG programming and where they have to pay consultants huge amounts of money because no one does that anymore. Nobody does. DOS? There was this thing called DOS when you were, when I started. Well, this they call RPG, and I'm not a computer expert, but oh. all I know is that I spent six years on that committee, and we finally got it to give us a report, which was a whole bunch of computer gibberish. But if we learned to read our code book, we could interpret it enough that we could find out this data. So there's data that the IRS has. They just don't have the ability to get it out. I mean, they... Um, from what I understood, they spent almost a billion dollars a year on those things, but it was just to maintain the status quo. So, so if you if you were in charge of the IRS, I mean, you would put in a a, a, a circa twenty two new computer system. I mean, is that is that something that this government is willing or able to do at some point between now and the year twenty one hundred? Um, Social Security did it. So they paid a lot of money. They have a bigger budget than the IRS. <laughs> they paid a lot of money and fixed their computer system. And I, it changed things night and day. We used to have to deal with Social Security a lot because there was a lot of fraud back and forth. Um, and when they changed that, it was great. 
I, I could certainly think they could do it, um, especially if this money, they use a lot of this money to do so. But well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about them. We'll, we'll get to the money. So, um, I mean, you literally had to sign on to different databases to get different reports. And you yeah. couldn't. And also the way it works is I was not allowed to sign on to the computers. You only by the because of the union rules, you had to it was designated to certain people. So you had to like put in a paper request for them to pull up a report for you. And then it might take a couple of weeks because, you know, they've got to go do everybody else's report. That's the system they work under. It's not you can't just go over to your computer, type it up. Boom, you've got it. You have to wait until you get it oftentimes mailed to you. Um yeah, it was funny when I was on the phone with the IRS, I said to the lady after three hours, I said, so can I give you my phone number in case we get disconnected? No. Can you give me your phone number unless we get disconnected? No. So I said, what happens if we get disconnected? Well, you have to start all over again. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> you know, so it, it, it's kind of crazy. So Ben, I've been a CPA for almost 40 years. You have a long history of uh, not only with the IRS, but in this business and as an accountant, a tax accountant. Uh, yeah, I hear that business owners sometimes run things through their businesses that maybe not are exactly qualified under Section 162, which is ordinary and necessary business and things like that. I mean, we all know that that happens. So maybe some advice for our clients who just don't think they're ever going to get audited. They hear, well, the audit rate is one-tenth of one percent, and uh, my buddy did this. So let's talk. I want to talk about both the expense side and the income side. Let's start with the expense side. What does IRS, what are they looking at when they audit a dental office? Um, you know, what, and, and what should our clients be thinking about when they're thinking about, am I going to run this through? My my favorite, my favorite, by the way, before you answer, I'm going to tell my favorite story real quick. So one of my clients, um, uh, my staff accountant came to us, uh, came to me and said, well, there's a check made out to the doctor for $9,500. And uh, he, he didn't code it with our chart of accounts. And we don't know what it is. What should we do? I said, we're going to have some fun. I called the office manager, Ben. And I said, all right, office manager. And before I could say anything, he, she said, because I never called, she says, Art, he said you were going to call and he said not to tell you what it is. And I said, great. So I threatened her with jail and all kinds of torture and everything. She said, all right, it's his, it's his hair transplant. And I said, you know, the hair transplant goes right be between dental supplies and, and, and dental lab. I mean, I mean, we see stuff. So, so talk about, talk about Ben, d dentists who get too aggressive on their taxes on the expense side. And then we'll talk about the revenue side in a second. Yeah. Well, obviously the reasonable compensation is the biggest problem we see, but Beyond that, um, there we it's very common for people to deduct their second home and or different like I don't know who it is that promoted it, but there's a whole bunch of doctors and dentists that are told that if they store records in one in that second home that they can somehow write it off, which of course not appropriate. But um, you know, that's one that's very common. Any there's the same thing like you're talking about there, baseball tickets and things like that that used to go through. That's a little been curbed a little bit by changes in the law. But it was very common for people to buy season tickets, then go and sell them and deposit them, you know, them into their own pocket when they got when they sold them to someone else. I'm shocked. I'm shocked to hear that. <laughs> oh, go ahead. But that amounts to, you know, thousands of dollars. And of oh, course, yeah. it's a it's a big problem if you underreport your income. That's essentially underreporting your individual income because you took a deduction at the S corp level, passed it on, and then po pocketed it and didn't report the, the difference. Um, anything like that is can be a big problem because the IRS doesn't even if it's a small amount, they are they attack that aggressively. So, and we have the tw the twenty percent underreporting penalty and talk about the penalties for a minute, Ben, that, that people could end up getting. I mean, there's there's a I mean there's a fraud there's a fraud penalty and there is no statute of limitations on fraud, right? Correct. And so if you if you well there's a if you underreport your income by twenty five percent, then you have a six year statute. Okay. And if you and if you if it's fraudulent deductions or income, then there's no statute. So the IRS can go after you any for any length of time. And they could also, if it's large enough, make a criminal um case out of it. We've had that situation where the um, rent, there's a multiple, um, the rent's deducted for one practice, but they, they rented out to other people and then they personally deposited the rent checks and didn't report it. <laughs> and that 
the IRS referred criminally. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be that large. Just if it's blatant and obvious, then they can get after you. I mean, one story I had from the IRS was we had an ice cream man that falsified his invoices. And I mean, he only had like $36,000 of revenue for the year, but he claimed a loss. And more than a third of those were false invoices that he created. And so wow. they put him in jail. So, I mean, it's it's it, if it's egregious, they will do it. Yeah, they, they, they do not. And, and again, folks, if, if you're going to play the audit lottery and Russian roulette, that's up to you. But um, I sleep very well at night, not only with my own tax return, but the way I prepare. We've prepared returns over um, over the years. Let's get into the revenue side, because this is where you can really get in trouble. I mean, I tell I tell people I, I had a client then who uh, the dental consultant that they were working with came to me and said, uh, you need to know that this client is not reporting eight to nine thousand dollars a month of cash that's coming into their dental practice. She says, what do you want to do? I says, I want to have a meeting. So then after a little small talk, I confronted them uh, with that. And I said, so can you tell me why? And the answer was amazing because you would have made me pay taxes on it, Art. <laughs> and I said, okay. And the next sentence out of my mouth was, uh, be aware that both you and I have signed this tax return under penalties of perjury and it's right on the return. And that is criminal and that is serious. And you have put me at risk and therefore I am terminating our relationship immediately. Please tell me who your new CPA is and I will cooperate in sending your records over. Talk about Talk about what happens if you if you get caught not reporting income? Well, I um, I have a story. I, quite a few cases I had when I first started with the IRS were based on um, whistleblower claims. And those might be from the CFO or in most cases it was the ex-wife. <laughs> that oh, <would> yeah. Report- <laughs> that, that ex-wife. Boy, guys, that's the best tax planning we can, the Bennett I can give you. Watch out for that ex-wife. <laughs> Don't get an ex-wife. I've been married 37 years, and in my contract, there will not be an ex-wife. Lynn, I promise there will not be an ex-wife. I love you to death. Go ahead. Well, this uh, in this case, it was a co-op, a farming co-op, right? And so there's several members of the co-op, and one of them decided he was going to sell a lot of the farm products um, out the back door. I'm not, I don't know if people, a lot of people know, but a lot of the, the – when you go to a um, – the little farm, what are those called? When you go to the little shop, the little yeah, the, the little farmers farm market, yeah, yeah, farmers, uh, market. farmers market. A lot of the damaged products from a large farmer they sell to these guys who sell it at a farmers market. And he sold all this stuff for the farmers market, which amounted to about three hundred thousand a year, unbeknownst to his other co-op members, out the back door. And in his divorce, his ex-wife said, "Hey, you know, he's personally pockets all this money, and so she wanted." A portion of it, right? And so I ended up getting back to the IRS. And of course, they went after him criminally, but he lost his entire business. The rest of the co-op members kicked him out, which virtually ended his ability to, to make any money. So I mean, that that's, I mean, a, a horrible, that's a, the, an egregious example, but it was just because the small amount of money, I mean, they made hundreds of millions of dollars in, in the co-op itself, right? And his portion was well over 30 million. So that was a pennies that he was, you know, not reporting compared to his money, but it was a big deal. Now, I've been involved, as you have been in business audits, and I know that a lot of them I was involved in are two-day audits. And the first day, unless they've changed it, is an income verification process that the auditor goes through. So they're spending half their time looking for unreported income. They're looking... You know, they're looking for for matching up uh, production reports to to collection reports to your P&L, to your bank statements. I mean, they they have a process. And so the best advice, I think, Ben, and correct me if I'm wrong, is, guys, if you're going to be aggressive on your taxes and nobody says you should pay one dime more in taxes than the law legally entitles you to pay, that is absolutely what you can do. Don't not, I mean, don't, that's a double negative. Report every dime of income. And if you're going to be aggressive, you know, I mean, we, we say, Ben, there's black, there's white, there's gray. Okay. You know, white will do all day long. Black, we will never do. And gray, we'll talk about. How, how do you feel about that? Well, I think it's important for people to remember that, um, that income is very easy for the IRS to find. So 
this a very basic agent can easily find your income that you don't report. They do two things, a bank deposits analysis, which they just compare all of your claimed income to what you actually deposit into your bank account. And the courts will accept as a default, your, they'll say everything in there is reportable as income if it doesn't match what's on your return. And you have to go back and prove that it's actually not a, a tax taxable deposit. And the other thing is the cash T when they, they, if someone is, you know, using cash only, they'll use the cash T. They'll just figure out how you live and what it would cost to live that way. And then they use that as the, the measuring stick. And that, that actually is acceptable like courts in cert, certain circumstances as well. So it's just not, you know, it's just not, doesn't make any sense to do that because it's easily detected. And they have processes to do that. I want to take a second, Ben. I want you to talk a little bit about what you and your team do at iBailey and who would be appropriate if you're listening to this podcast, if you've got IRS trouble, if you haven't filed tax returns in a long time, if you're in an audit that is just not going well, if your CPA isn't able to handle What do you guys do? And then I want you to give out your contact information, please. Sure. So we basically handle four separate things I like to separate into. One is the exams. That's when the IRS is actually auditing you, and we can assist through that. It's a big deal to sort of buffer the agent. You don't want to ever talk to the agent. You should be represented so that what you say can't be misconstrued. Because even if you ultimately win, it can cost you thousands of dollars to go through all the way through the process to prove a misunderstanding is a misunderstanding. Then we also do collections. That's where it, the IRS has special rules, you know, where you can pay on your own terms, so to speak. And you'll hear, hear lots of people say, well, you can pay pennies on the dollar. And we can go through that process and, and get someone an offer and compromise. But you have to make pennies <laughs> to get pennies on the yeah. dollar. Most we're going to hit that in a minute. Yeah. yeah, most of the time we do installment agreements, which helps you pay over time. Um, a lot of times that's just to prevent disruption of the business because they'll try to put liens or levies on your business. We do a lot of penalty abatements. In this day and age, the IRS asserts a lot of penalties automatically, and you have to go file certain forms to get the penalty removed, and we take care of that and make reasonable cause arguments to remove the penalties and or move the money to the right place, that sort of thing, procedural-type items. But one thing we do, I do a lot of is vetting a lot of these because, you know, there, there are valid captive insurance companies. There's valid conservation easements. There's valid reasons to have a lower salary or reasonable compensation. But it, it's got to fit the right parameters. And so a lot of what I do is analyze those and tell people, well, here's the risk. Here's the pitfalls. Here's what the case law actually says. Because if I've heard it once, I've heard it a million times, every lawyer or financial planner that comes to their client and says, hey, well, you know, I'm not a salesman, but... And then they <laughs> they, they, and they sell all those things. Yeah. So like people just bounce those things off of me and I can tell them when it's good or bad. And obviously, if it works, why not go to the IRS? So one of the big things I do is say, hey, if this is a new thing and we think that it is a, an appropriate place in the law and you can get a deduction, I can call the IRS and ask them if they have a problem with it. That's that's actually you know a big way that the IRS works. It's anonymous. So you're not telling them that, but you can go get their position and understand it. So when I get people come to me and they pitch a plan or a promotion of a deduction, I say, well, have you talked to the IRS about it? And they say no. And I'm like, well, why not? And usually the reason why not is because it it really (laughs) won't work. That's right. So do do you ever do private letter rulings for clients that want to do a particular transaction? Yes, we have several that are pending. We do them hundreds of a year, uh, mostly for late S corp elections and things like that. But we also do right. um, position PLRs and work through them with the IRS. But we also do just a lot of informal advice on a verbal basis just to get an understanding of position so, because the PLR can be expensive. So Ben, what you're saying is, is that if you, if, if one of our doctors listening is being presented with a, a captive, a conservation easement, before they invest, they could actually engage you and say, hey, Ben, would you take a look and give me your like unbiased, non-salesperson opinion? And, and you can do that, right? Yes. Okay. So why don't you give out, because I got a lot more to cover, and I wish I had days to talk to you, because this is just really interesting to me, because what I've done for 40 years. Um, 
How do people get a hold of you? And if, if someone has a question, they can give you a call or send you an email. So give out your phone number and your email, and it'll also be in the show notes. Yep. My phone is 801-456-5476. And my email is B as in boy, peeler, like a potato peeler, P-E-E-L-E-R. So B peeler at idbailey.com. Which okay, that, that's great. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. All right, let's get back into some more topics before we have to wrap this up. So we have a dentist who's in deep financial trouble. They're way behind in their taxes. Um, let's get into the discussion about what are their options, installment agreements, offers and compromise. Give a little, I know it could. It, it, that's a whole podcast in and of itself. I know that. But if I have a dentist who who just, maybe they haven't filed returns or maybe they they just owe a lot of money. What are their options? Yeah, so um, it's important to get someone to represent you in collections because the IRS, you know, we call it poor man's bankruptcy. And that's just an ironic way of saying it. (laughs) There's, you know, it's codified. There's law that requires the IRS to deal with someone's in tax trouble a certain way. So you essentially have rights to protect yourself. So what's really important is the IRS will do something that's called a viability analysis and these are these are clerks that don't really know about how a business operates. They don't know, you know, really what a business needs or doesn't need. And they'll go in and do a viability analysis to say, because they know that if they go and enforce a tax obligation, like put a lien or a levy on something, you'll put them out of business because you can't, effectively can't borrow. You can't. Um, banks will call your notes, everything. So you have to if you if you put someone in place to protect you, they can go put all those liens and levies to the side and get you to a reasonable person, not one of the first level clerks. I mean, I'm not disparaging the IRS, but there's just a difference between a sophisticated attorney and someone that just, you know, processes paperwork. Um, If you can get them to to sophisticated attorney, you can save a business. You're just proving to the government that, look, it's better to let us pay a little bit less and keep this in business long-term. Government will get more in taxes People won't be thrown out of work. People won't lose their jobs. Um, you just take a little bit less. Because although an offer and compromise is difficult to get, I mean, you have to have very little pay or money or assets to get one. You can get what's called a partial pay installment agreement where you're just paying every month the amount that you can prove you can pay. And the IRS just lets you stay in business, leaves you alone, and it can protect your business long term. We, we hear ads on the radio about companies that, that make claims that, oh, well, we can get rid of 95% of your IRS debt. I mean, I'm sure you've seen some of that. I mean, maybe just address what, what is real and what is not real. So when I left the IRS, one of the things that bothered me in the IRS more than anything was that these companies, these tax resolution companies, would frequently, their clients would come, I'd get their cases. And they have done nothing for their client. They took I've a seen lot that of money. many times. And they paid five, ten, twenty thousand dollars to them exactly. and nothing happens, right? And they wouldn't do anything. And I was as an, the attorney would be like, Well, this is what really should happen. And I would just call the taxpayer up and say, Hey, look, I, we can fix this so you're not, you know, you don't have this problem. I don't know where your representative is, they've never called me back. And I would just try to help them. Because we we were tasked with trying to find the right tax, not just getting taxes. We wanted them to do it the right way. And so when I left the IRS, I said, look, I mean, I'm, I'm a firm with 75,000 clients now. And so there are people that have IRS payment problems. They have a hard time paying in their business struggles. And we're there to help them. But we wanted to help all those other people because we frequently get them referred to us. And, you know, obviously we've got to get paid for our work, but we don't do it that way. We know how much it costs to do certain things. And so we're glad to have anybody call us. We, we tell them if we can help them or we're not going to take a fee unless we actually can do it. And if they can't, we'll tell them this is the road you need to take. It might be a road you need to take by yourself, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you can do it. And we'll tell them how to get there. Um, so there's people all you know, in different situations, but it's actually not that difficult each one. And the answer might be bankruptcy. We don't do bankruptcy, but we might refer you to someone who would. And there are, and we don't have time to get into the bankruptcy rules regarding taxes. Uh, that's just not what we're going to talk about today. But if your only debt, if your debts are only taxes, then usually we can help you fix them. Yeah, 
I mean, it, it, it's amazing that there are rules and there are procedures. And if you know your way around the IRS, it's it's a it's a great thing. So if you guys are having some problems, you might consider reaching out to Ben and seeing what he and his team can do. I want to talk about interest in foreign bank accounts. I have seen this personally with a couple of clients where, well, we just never reported that account. And And first of all, Ben, people I've learned may have an interest in a foreign bank account and they may not even know it because the 8938 has to be filed in some cases. I mean, you might have a signature authority or you might have a spouse that has a signature authority. And so talk about, I'm, I'm sure you've gotten involved with that. The IRS goes after that really hard, don't they? Yes. So we have a an international group in the firm that, that helps with the compliance and filing and um, and I assist them with what we call the reasonable cause portion. That's basically um, explaining why you didn't file on time so you don't get penalized. Um, yeah, this is a big problem because, like you said, and one that we frequently get with doctors and dentists is that a lot of them will dabble in cryptocurrency and, um, or different other investments that they don't realize are held in a foreign jurisdiction. And um, they'll actually get the reporting, but it's confusing, it's complex. And like, like, like you said, they just don't realize that they might be a signatory on a bank account that's in a foreign country. We've had people that were um, part of a group of people that would own a vacation home like in Costa Rica or something. And that to maintain that house because they had staff, out, you know, they would take care of it. They would keep a whole bunch of money in the bank account and everybody had signatory authority on it. Yeah. And it was more than ten thousand dollars. So they had FinCEN reporting <laughs> requirements and didn't know it for 20 years. And we, there's programs that the IRS has to go back and report those so you can prevent the penalties. You just want to do it sooner rather than later. But, I mean, that's $10,000 per form. And it's, I mean, that's a lot of money, a lot more than the building was even worth. So Yeah. So, guys, these are the two things. If you have an accountant and you believe that you have any kind of relationship with a foreign bank account. The one form is called an FBAR, F-B-A-R, and the other is an 8938, if I have the number right, which is the specified foreign accounts form. And um, there are very special rules. And if you don't, re if you are required to file, and it's just, it's just, re it's not like you have to pay additional tax, right? You just have to report that you have these accounts and disclose them. And if you don't, I mean, the penalties are huge, right, Ben? Yeah, our biggest problem is, yeah, they can be as much, they can be up more than the entire bank account balance. Yeah, so that they can be huge. But one one pe thing people don't realize is they might inherit something from a from that somebody that's foreign assets. They might just have a piece of a business that's from a foreign country. So they might have 5471 requirements, like a, right. you know, that their parents just give it to them. But they're like, well, I don't receive any money from it. They Doesn't might matter. actually report the income from it on their return and say, well, I'm reporting the income. What could be the problem? But the penalty, the income could be pittance, but the penalty for the form could be $10,000. You could be, receive $500 in dividends a year and have uh, filing requirements, you know, 10 years, $100,000. Okay. So I want to, no, it's it, it's huge. It so guys, the if percentage you of the account balance. And, and by the way, if you even think, well, you know, my 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 third cousin, second removed, has a bank account in Denmark, call and we'll tell you what the requirements are. All right. Last thing I want to talk about, Ben, because like I said, unfortunately, this time goes by way too. I have way too much fun doing this. You've been great, by the way. Um, so the IRS is going to be hiring 80,000 new employees and they've been given 80 to 90 billion dollars to spend over the next 10 years. Um, tell me about that. Is that good? Is that bad? Are we all going to get, is this going to get worse before it gets better? What are they going to do with this? What do we think they're going to do with this money and, and the people? So, you know, my job is to, of course, make sure people don't pay any more tax than they have to, but I would say this is a great thing and they, people shouldn't be upset about it because you don't want to, I mean, if you look at the IRS is underfunded compared to every other government agency. It's always being beaten down, um, you know, politically. And that means a bad thing because it creates these messes. We, we have to clean up messes for people that just shouldn't exist. Horrible computer systems. I think it's a great thing. They, they're they running out of people. 
I mean, every lots of people I've known have left much earlier than they would have because it's just been so difficult. It's I think it's a very important thing. They they need they not only need to hire these people but train them, update the computer systems. But from a professional perspective, I mean, we I spend probably twenty percent of my year talking clients out of things that are just downright fraud. Yep. And if if the IRS was better at their job, they would be able to identify and stop those people quickly. And, you know, as a taxpayer, everyone should want people to be pay, pay their correct tax. And that's what the IRS needs to get to. Right now, it's just, it's um, letting people get away with things and then going after people that, spending money and going after people that are probably paying their tax. I'm going to read off of an article that I saw yesterday on cbsnews.com. So um, they say of the $80 billion in funding, nearly $46 billion was allocated to go towards enhanced enforcement as the IRS looks to close its so-called tax gap, which is currently standing at an estimated $600 billion annually and $7.5 trillion over the next 10 years. I believe our federal budget is somewhere in the neighborhood of about three to four trillion. So that's two to three times our annual budget, which is not getting reported as income. It's also going to be used for improving taxpayer services and technology and modernization. But um, I mean, this is going to take time. They have to train these people, right, Ben? Yeah. Yes. And the just the there's they estimate 150 billion of the tax gap every year comes from just the reasonable compensation S corp. Wow. Is that right? Yeah. And I mean, this is something that, you know, it's on, it's on everybody's, everybody that's famous tax return. I mean, Donald Trump has it on his tax return. President Biden has it on his tax return. And I'm a tax attorney and I'll tell you, both of them have it wrong. So, I mean, they're they're If they went to court, they would both lose. So if it's something that is so bad and needs to be fixed, I mean, I don't know why that it, if the IRS is going to have to do it, it's going to have to do it. But it's not a political thing, right? The law is the law and everybody's skirting it. So so the message that I'm hearing from you, and I, I, I didn't have to talk to you to know what the message is going to be, is folks, if you are being presented tax um, schemes uh, that are going to have you pay no taxes, I mean, if you make a half million dollars, you shouldn't pay no taxes. That's just not going to happen. Um, and so if you have a situation that comes up, uh, pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered and folks, if you do this and somebody tells you your friend at the dental society said it, uh, it was okay. Um, and, uh, I mean, I had one situation with a company that had thousands of dentists across the United States. This is 10, 15 years ago. And one of my clients said, I'm going to go and do this company and I'm going to do this thing. And I, uh, I was just recently married. I mean, this was a long time. It was probably 35 years ago. And, and I said, I can't do this. I can't sign your tax return. And the answer was, well, all the guys at the dental society are signing up for it. I mean, that, that's like saying, you know, you can take the ERTC because somebody on TikTok said it was okay, right? And, and then what happened? The uh, the CID, uh, the Justice Department came after the company and they froze $600 billion of their assets that were all in foreign accounts. And my client got nailed. And, and that's what happens, folks. Now, if you want to play the audit lottery, that's fine. That's your choice. But the costs, as Ben has explained to you, are, are, are huge. And, and now, Ben, with this new money and new agents, I think they're going to spend a lot of time, a lot of time and resources, a lot more on these issues, and that is the captives, and that is the conservation easements, and that's the reasonable competence corp, and the ERTC, and the R and D, right? I mean, that's where the, that's where the money is, right? Yeah, and even before this bill, the IRS has made a strong effort to use their data to actually go after people where they don't have the manpower to do it. They're changing their model so that they can just mine their own data and and public records to determine people that are involved in these these types of situations. So that's becoming uh, more prevalent, whether you're being audited, not because they found the promoter and they're going after everybody that was in this transaction. Instead, they're, they're saying, well, you had a large change in your deductions. We can tell that your bank, you know, everything changed this way and looks fraudulent. 
they'll start going after people for that. So it's changing to a digital attack. And, and under the new rules that have come in the last three or four years, where before, Ben, as I understand it, if a partnership got audited, they had to go down and audit each individual partner, and it was a huge drain on the resources. Tell me if I'm getting this right. Uh, and now with some of the new rules, they can go and just assess the partnership and just assess every partner at the highest marginal tax rate. Isn't there some new rules about that? Yeah. It used to be even large partnerships, the process was very difficult because even after you audited the partnership, you had to go down to the partner level to fight out all the penalty defenses. Now it's just all at the partnership level and the onus is on the partnership to basically prove everything up. It's much easier for the IRS. I think future legislation will keep going this direction, making it so that the taxpayers are responsible, more responsible for the reporting. You know, we see it with the international forms that we just talked about, where you just have to report it, even if it's innocuous, right? But now you, they'll keep doing that. So it'll be more and more difficult to, you have to do more compliance, more forms, more yeah. Things like that to keep just it. what we love, right? <laughs> so, last thing, and then we'll 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 wrap this up. And if you would stay with me as I take this out, I would appreciate it. Uh, talk about how important documentation is. If if someone's getting audited or you're you're doing things, how important is a is it for a dentist to have really good documentation in an audit? Well, let's put let's go back to the basis question. So, a lot of times, you'll have the the practice will be going on for thirty years. And basis is a is from inception. And we'll frequently have people that are audited for basis, but we only have records for the last seven years. And so the IRS only allows you your losses and deductions up to the amount of basis that you were able to prove. And all you've got is your seven years of records. Yep. We've had we've had to go back to try to find a million dollar um, capital investment check from nineteen seventy. To, to basically get to the point where you were. So that I think that's the best example when it comes to documentation because you you have, I can do a lot if I have the documentation. I can right. prove a lot. But if I don't have it, then, and all I've got is somebody to go saying, well, I think I did this, I think I did that. That's not admissible in court. If it's not admissible in court, then the IRS won't consider it either. Yeah. Ben Peeler, you are a um, plethora plethora. That's three syllables. Yeah, I can do that word. Plethora of information. Uh, great stuff for our listeners today, folks. Bottom line, if you have an IRS problem, uh, and that also goes, you also help clients with state problems too, right, Ben? That's true, yes. Yeah. So a state or a federal problem. Um, the tax board is worse than the IRS. So. Oh, I should have said that because I can tell you that from personal experience. Um, ben, one more time, give out your contact information, please. Yeah, it's uh, 801-456-5476, my office number, and then bpeeler at idbailey.com. Yeah, if you have a problem or you think you have a problem or you think you might have a problem, shoot Ben an email, give him a call. He'll be happy to talk to you. Maybe have him talk to one of your your team members on there. So Ben, or again, anybody, thank Or if go. anybody wants my screenplay so they can make a, a movie about the what we call the Department of the Interior. Because everything in the government goes through them. I think we're going to call it annoying, annoying, annoying. You know, maybe we'll call it that. But um, yeah, you know, uh, that's why you and I have a job, Ben. And um, uh, we do great work for our clients. So if you have a problem, give Ben a call. Uh, and do stay with me until I take the podcast out, please. Um, so folks, please, again, go to visit our um, decisionsindentistry.com, part, our partner, Decisions in Dentistry, www.decisionsindentistry.com. Wonderful clinical content, 140 continuing education courses at a wonderfully low, low price um, to get your CE and um, second to none clinical content, the world's best clinicians talking about the top clinical contacts and uh, um uh, subjects in dentistry. Um, again, if you are looking for a dental CPA, give me a call. Art Wiederman, uh, my number is 657-279-3243. We are accepting new clients. By the way, the rule is you have to be nice. And most of you are nice. I love the dentists that I work with. Absolutely love them. Uh, but you have to be nice. And if you're nice, we'll take you as a client. Um, my email address is a Wiederman, W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at idbailey.com. Please sign up for our lecture, uh, Business of Dentistry series. We have eight local dental societies here in Southern California uh, that are going to be 
participating. We're actually recording, doing live, and then recording it the first one tomorrow. We're recording today on October the 6th. So uh, we've got great, great presenters, great information. They're free, and they will all live on our Eyed Bailey YouTube page, as did the entire series. It's still there from last year. Ben Peeler, thank you so much for your time and your expertise today and helping our listeners navigate the Internal Revenue Service. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. All right. And folks, with that said, thank you for the honor and the privilege of your time. I cannot tell you how much I enjoy this. Uh, We get many of you are kind enough to send emails and asking for different topics. And we've got some great stuff coming up in the coming weeks and months. And I'm going to continue to do this work until they take my microphone away. And they haven't said they're going to do that yet, um, but we'll see what happens. Anyway, folks, this is Art Wiederman, uh, Dental Division Director at the CPA firm of Ide Bailey for Ide Bailey for the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman CPA. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. The Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast is produced by Ide Bailey in partnership with Art Wiederman, CPA, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, and the Academy of Dental CPAs. For audience questions and feedback, email Art Wiederman, awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. Or you may call Art at 657-279-3243.